that night the city burnt, and the mother church of the city burnt with her. And yet the tower and the spire still stand, soaring to the sky, and I feel that's an emblem of the eternal majesty and love of God. Greetings. You are tuned into the Miserable Offenders podcast. Pull up a chair and join the conversation as we seek answers to life's big questions, drawing wisdom from the well of traditional Anglican theology. This is a production of the North American Anglican. Welcome back. My name is Jesse Nigro, and this is the Miserable Offenders podcast. Um, I am the editor of the North American Anglican online journal. You can find us at northam.com, anglican.com rather. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter. And you can find uh, the venerable canon Isaac Rayberg right here in our virtual podcast studio. Isaac? Good to be with you again, Jesse. And you can uh, find me on Twitter at... Uh, FR underscore Isaac, and that's one S and two A's underscore R, if you can remember all that. Um, and I am the uh, Archdeacon for Liturgy in the Anglican Diocese of the West and the Rector of All Saints Anglican Church in uh, San Antonio, Texas. And I'm glad to be here as always. And we're also joined with another venerable, the venerable Andrew Brazier. Andrew. Hey, guys. So good to be here. Andrew Brazier, Rector of uh, Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Pelham, Alabama. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I actually don't remember what my handle is. I think it's A uh, Brazier Law uh, because it was put together by my former law firm. So, <laughs> but you can find me. I'm the only Andrew Brazier on there that I know. I put all my hot takes, though, on creedthoughts.gov.www.creedthoughts. Really extreme, even for the internet. No, but uh, I also <laughs> serve as the chancellor for uh, jurisdiction of armed forces and chaplaincy. It's so good to be with uh, both of y'all, and looking forward to our topic for today. Excellent. And I suppose I should uh, mention my Twitter handle is Jesse Nigro, J E S S E N I G R O, no spaces. And our podcast has a Twitter. Um, we're at miserable underscore pod. So um, find us, and uh, yeah, Andrew, yours is at a brazier law. Look at there, I got it. Okay, good. So <laughs> um, find us on the socials so you can complain about us in public or or lavish us praise. You know, whatever you think will keep us humble. Uh, <laughs> if you hear any um, sort of squawking or um, cooing. Uh, it's not a bird. I have That's my, yeah, it's Andrew. No, I have my uh, eight-month-year daughter in the office right now, so um, she'll hopefully just get bored with us and take a nap. But if not, she's going to learn today, along with you, dear listener, all about the crisis of Anglican identity in North America. Um, and specifically, uh, she's super amped to find out like what is the problem here why are there so many uh seemingly uh theologically similar anglican jurisdictions here in north america um why don't they uh just uh sort of have a big turkey dinner and turn into one happy family um what's keeping us divided 
And um, and more than that, you know, I, I think we'd like to discuss some of the, you could say, um, bulwarks of a healthy Anglican unity that might actually bring us together if we could kind of figure it out. Um, so, you know, we're not, none of us is bishops and we're not trying to tell the bishops what to do, but we're thinking out loud. Um, we're uh, using the gifts that we've been given and we want to have this conversation with you. So once again, uh, feel free to, you know, let us know what you think about this one. But on the subject of Anglican identity and North American identity and unity, um, once again, that is not me. Uh, <laughs> a, a little lady She's getting excited. Uh, one of the big, um, for many people, the biggest issue is this issue of common prayer, this issue of our liturgical unity as Anglicans. Um, some people are uh, Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi type Anglicans. I've heard some people switch it around and say, well, no, no, it's the way of our belief informs the way of our prayer. It Probably there should be a reflexive, you know, both ways have a legitimate thing to say, in my opinion. But um, specifically on this issue of common prayer, uh, I'm sure some of our listeners are aware that, uh, Isaac, you wrote an article recently for the North American Anglican. Once again, that's NorthAmAnglican.com called How Classical Is It? A Review of the Book of Common Prayer 2019 Traditional Language Edition. And I think a great way for us to kind of launch this conversation about common prayer how important is it for Anglican identity and unity um, by discussing where does this particular volume fit into that bigger picture? What do you think, Eisen? Yeah, so um, those those who don't know, um, just recently the uh, the folks at the um, at um, Anglican Church in North America released a traditional language edition of of their 2019 Book of Common Prayer. I don't know if we actually do video, but here is a copy on the video if anybody's looking at that. Um, and uh, in terms of how it fits into common prayer, I think it's it's got a couple of couple of ways that it goes. Um, I think for for starters, it's important to note that the point of this was not to classicalize the 2019. This was not to basically say, okay, all you people that are using the 1928 or the 1662, here, use this instead, and that'll make you happy. That wasn't the point. I think the point was more to um, give something more traditional to 2019 users already. So in some ways, there is a little bit of a bridge back to the classical because it's similar language. You know, we're using basically the exact same Psalter um, and that sort of thing, uh, restoring some of the beloved terms from previous versions like miserable offenders. That's a good thing to bring back. Um, again, miserable offenders. No, I'm just kidding. And, um, but, but on, on the other hand, I, I think it, it, it does just give us yet one more prayer book on the scene is that a good thing 
I, I don't know. I mean, you know, we, we, we use the 28 at my parish. Um, some folks have said, well, why would you keep using the 20, 20 or sorry, 1928? But, you know, our, our use of the 2019 traditional language is going to be completely supplementary. So, you know, we're, we're, we're on the boat, but uh, we're not going to be changing our Sunday morning liturgy for it. Yeah, and I would add that the good thing about having this project is precisely because of, of some of the changes uh, that were made. Very minor, only a couple of places here and there. You know, miserable offenders being added back, and of course us <laughs> being named the miserable offenders. You know, we, we note that, but they also bracketed uh, in the general confession for the daily office, apart from thy grace, a criticism in another North American uh, Anglican article. Uh, gosh, was it Samuel Bray who did that, or was it Drew King? One, one of those two had an article uh, criticizing. They're partners in crime, aren't they? They are partners. Absolutely. In crime. So, uh, <laughs> Keen and Bray, you know, partners in crime. But uh, one of them made a, a good point of, of adding that language was utterly unnecessary. Now it's been bracketed. So one part of, of kind of my viewpoint of seeing this is a welcome uh, addition, although it adds another prayer book to the North American Anglican landscape. It shows that there's uh, moving towards a direction closer to uh, what has been professed in the fundamental declarations of the ACNA of being the standard of going towards the 1662. Now there's small little you know, changes there, but I think that in ACNA, at least you're seeing a direction that acknowledges heading towards uh, the classic language and therefore the classic theology of Anglicans. And prayerfully, you know, as the future uh, unfolds, hopefully any future uh, prayer book uh, from ACNA would continue that trajectory and that path. Um, well said. I, Andrew, you mentioned um, <clears throat> what I think is an important consideration, this idea that uh, the ACNA does canonically um, place itself sort of within the 1662 tradition. It calls the 1662 Book of Common Prayer an authority in both uh Gosh, is it faith and practice? Am I getting the wording right? I, I don't recall. But um, so so there is a sort of good reason for us to make sure or, you know, whoever, whoever um, you are, if you're within the ACNA, to make sure that on the ground, um, especially at the parish level, that something like the 1662 um, the spirit of the 1662, you could say, at the bare minimum, is being uh, participated in. Which brings up this uh, really interesting sort of point, which is that since the 2019 Book of Common Prayer of the ACNA was published, we've had another um, prayer book published in the Anglosphere, the 1662 International Edition, um, which has also uh, been discussed quite a bit in uh, at the North American Anglican website, um, and which also was the, the uh, project of um, Mr. Keene and uh, Mr. Bray. So maybe it would be instructive for us to discuss, because I think that these two volumes, um, 
whether you whether we're talking about the uh, traditional language edition or the uh, sort of standard edition of the 2019, and then the 1662 International Edition, really represent two pretty different answers to maybe what was the same question. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you said you know this. For many people in the ACNA, the the 2019 was a step in the right direction, a step towards 1662. Um, and I mean, it's hard to disagree with that, especially if they were using the 1979 um, uh, Episcopal Church's Book of Common Prayer. Um, and there's language like that that we get from people like uh, the late Peter Toon. Mm-hmm. who sort of said, yeah, the 1662 is sort of the global Anglican standard. Um, but he was at the same time advocating for American Anglicans to use the 1928 prayer book as their vehicle to mm-hmm. 1662. It's almost like 1662 is this platonic form of common prayer and then you're in your you know it's like up there in the heavenly realm and then your sort of locality determines uh a specific instantiation um notably in the 1928 we don't have prayers for her majesty uh we have prayers for presidents and uh other forms of government so um Isaac, what do you think of sort of how do we look at this question of how do we maintain classical common prayer and uh, how do these two recent strands or answers sort of attempt to answer the question differently? Yes, I I remember at the uh, 2019 um, ACNA assembly, um, I, I attended all of the liturgy task force breakouts. And that was kind of when that 2019 prayer book was originally introduced. Um, so yeah, I think Andrew and I both have the, um, the special inaugural edition, which basically meant they slapped a cool sticker on the inside, um, saying what, that it was from that first assembly. But, um, uh, I, yeah. pause. Did, did you guys, uh, pen in the word, the words miserable offenders where it ought to have been in that edition together, like at the Conference. Sorry, go ahead. We, we should have gotten up publicly, and, and and that was our protest at the time. That was, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like uh, who was it? Uh, Tolkien, you know, who loudly, you know, would would respond in Latin. <laughs> yeah. We should we should publish like a tiny like ten point font sticker that people can put in their prayer books if. Just in case miserable, miserable offenders is missing from their current edition or whatever. <laughs> that's that's a good marketing opportunity right there. Three ninety nine. Send your text too. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah. So but what? But at the at the uh, the, the one of the breakouts, um, and I, I forget who was the the kind of main speaker there. Probably probably Marcus Kaiser. Um, but but he said that the twenty nineteen was not the heir of a particular prayer book, but was rather meant to be the heir of all of our prayer books. And so there was some very intentional 
1662-isms in there, um, I think including the rubrics to arrange the communion order to, to that of the 1662 rather than more of that 1928 style for the Anglican standard. But there was also some um, 79-isms in there, such as uh, a lot of the basis for the occasional services or even that renewed ancient text bears a lot more resemblance to the 79. And so there was this idea that um, because the ACNA is so diverse, there needs to be a prayer book that we, we won't say makes everybody happy, but at least uh, makes everybody equally unhappy. I don't know. That's not the phrase they would say, but that's kind of the way that it seemed to me talking to people about it. That's good um, to know that you said yeah. that because I hadn't heard that aspect. I, I was tabling for uh, for my full time job and, and missed that discussion. And that's like a very, I would say, a fair way of describing the 2019 was yeah. inheriting. They didn't just they clearly did not just lop off the 79 and then start you know from 28 or start with 1662 and. Um, and like you said, there's like a nod to 1662 in several areas, like uh, the Venite and the morning prayer no longer has, you know, has like the rest of the, the actual canticle instead of uh, uh, slapping in. I think it's Psalm 95 in the American prayer books is how the Venite uh, ends. Yeah, so not, not a hybrid anymore, but it's, yeah, it's not a hybrid. all of Psalm 95 or truncated Psalm 95. Yeah, yep. that, that's that, that's a good example of that. Yeah, so so there was yeah that that kind of comprehensiveness, um, moving moving forward in comprehensiveness, trying to make everybody as happy as possible. The 1662 International kind of goes the opposite direction, where they say let's go back to that uh, Platonic ideal, as Jesse said. Um, that's not what what uh, Samuel Bray and Drew Drew Keen said about it, but yeah, I like that that concept. Um, but then just kind of change some of the things that would be necessary if you're not in the British Empire so that you could you could kind of take this anywhere in the world, but still have that um, that kind of ad fontes approach to the 1662. Um, so so yeah, like you said, these are these are two ways of approaching the problem in different ways. Um, I mean, but it's the same problem. It's just kind of approaching a different way. Are we going to just try to make everybody happy or at least equally unhappy, or are we going to try to go back to the source? Um, and, you know, I, I can see arguments for both ways. I'm, I'm yeah. a back to the source guy myself, though. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's my, my bias. Yeah, um, I think that's a great way of putting it, sort of like, <laughs> can we make everyone equally unhappy, or can we make, you know, sort of one select group particularly happy? Um, in my own context here in Omaha, <clears throat> I, I uh, had the pleasure of sort of hanging out with a, a local pastor of a, a pretty successful Lutheran church. And he, uh, they have going on there sort of within their own building what a lot of, I would say, sort of, frankly, um, mainstream traditional Christian churches have, which is we've got your traditional service early for the old people. And then we've got the, you know, uh, modern language service later. And, and, you know, that's for people who have a hard time getting their kids out the door like I do or whatnot. And then, um, which I, I think a lot of people, and, and I don't know, maybe I heard you say this first, Isaac, but um, in, in many cases, when you, ha when you do that, um, functionally, you have basically two separate parishes meeting in the same building. 
that, that's the danger Absolutely. congregations yeah, yeah. um and so he he kind of resolved this um and and it was kind of funny I, I i held my tongue but he uh you know grinningly said uh so i did the old solomon solution where i cut half of one and cut half of the other and i put them together and i <laughs> i sort of you know you know look i so i'm a, fl- I'm a philosophy teacher so I'm going to take your analogical language and apply it equally whenever you use it. And uh, I was just thinking of like, okay, so apparently a a fairly big crowd of people was okay with this solution. But what does it mean when your crowd is only those ladies that are happy with half a baby? You know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and now does this apply perfectly to our two... uh, examples as an analogy i i'm not gonna say that but i do sometimes wonder um when we make these compromises and when we as a result of the compromise say look it was popularly received um you know maybe we should not use that as the final sort of determiner of whether or not something was a good idea i think that um being, you know, sometimes leadership means telling people who really don't know any better uh, what is good for them. I mean, I don't know. If it, it, as a father, I feel that way all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, again, people are going to, you know, be angry with me, and that's okay. I, I, I don't mean to offend, but miserably, I do it anyways. Um, when I when I think of this, you know, and I've heard, you know, Father Ben Jeffries, who was involved in the 2019 quite a bit, um, he said, you know, look, uh, the 1979 prayer book did things that we wanted to keep. There was good stuff there, you know, um, and I think that that mentality of trying to accommodate all of the history, for better or for worse, in this um, prayer book is one that um, I personally am going to kind of favor the 1662 International Edition sort of solution. Um, The question is, would the whole province have swallowed that solution? And I think that there's reason to believe that maybe it wouldn't have been so. Um, But I don't, you know, I don't necessarily think we should... um, uh, un- uncritically assume that everything that's happened in recent history, no matter how much it stands out as a deviation from centuries of tradition, uh, needs to be accommodated or accounted for. Um, but I've rambled on long enough. Andrew, what do you think? Yeah, so I think that the trajectory there, you know, gives us, you know, room for hope because what you've seen is, you know, this evolution, you know, heading towards a certain direction, you know, with uh, a province that says, look, we've seen how revisionism goes the wrong way. You know, when it's, you know, it goes through uh, in 1979 after years of having different colored books of trying to to change not only the way uh, we worship, but also change the theology. And then you end up with those who, um, who understandably and rightfully say, you, know, you can take my 28 from my cold dead hands uh, to those who can live with a, a right one 
and uh, and to the, the rest of Anglicanism, you know, being more and more fractured from multiple issues, not just the prayer book as the continuing movement blossoms to here we are like a lot of puzzle pieces that are trying to be put together under the province that is the ACNA and even outside of the ACNA. So the trajectory that I see in terms of like prayer books is that the ACNA makes a good faith step towards let's try to go back to what we have lost and do it without imposing our foot because there's a lot of bad taste in people's mouths. Now I'm with you, Jesse. We got to call a spade a spade and you need leadership. But I'm hopeful that because of the traditional language edition coming out and making some small changes like this, because obviously it's still the 2019, but you know, traditional language and a few changes here and there to start bringing it back further to the classic Anglican theology, that what you're seeing is in another, another, I don't know, you know, 20, 40 years, whatever, you know, there's another sit down, you know, is it time for a revision of the existing ACNA prayer book or a new prayer book altogether? It may make that step even more in the direction of let's conform to really our fundamental declarations because in ACNA, we have in our fundamental declaration, that's point number six, that we received the Book of Common Prayer as set forth by the Church of England in 1662, together with the ordinal attached the same as a standard for Anglican doctrine and discipline, and with the books that which preceded it as the standard for the Anglican tradition of worship. And so I quote that just because I think it's really important to note that ACNA is aspiring in its fundamental declaration to say that the 1662 and the ordinal attached is a standard for doctrine and for discipline. And for the books that preceded it, you know, going back to 1549, that's the standard for Anglican tradition of worship. And so I argued in an article from like a few years ago on the North American Anglican. So if you want the, the full digest of, of my logic, it's common authority in the midst of uncommon prayer. But to give you a bite-sized taste of it, ACNA, you know, claims, and at least we're hoping, we're aspiring to say that 1662 is a standard for where you want to know, like our doctrine and discipline, that's one of the places you need to be going to. And so as you use the 2019 prayer book, the argument I make in that article, and I still feel to this day convicted, is when you use the 2019 and you're like, I don't know how to do something, uh, I'm wondering, you know, what, what is the theology behind this? We need to be going back to 1662, looking at the language used there, looking at the rubrics. And so it's great to have not only ACNA going in this direction, but also an independent effort, the 1662 IE, which has been blessed by bishops in the ACNA in several uh, dioceses, including my own, the JFC, Jurisdiction of Armed Forces and Chaplaincy, because that's going to inform the future of any future major or minor revision in the ACNA of taking that hard work of the 1662 IE, which is really just minorly updating the 1662, and further pushing us in a trajectory of hopefully of union to truly have a common prayer within the province, much less common theology and prayer amongst the other jigsaw pieces, puzzle pieces of Anglicanism in North America. I heard of a, a fun interview um, on a, on Bart Gingrich's Gingrich, going to start. I'm sorry, Bart. I'm just butchering your name. My goodness. Um, on, on his podcast with uh, Stephen Wedgworth and Richard Tarsitano about them incorporating the 1662 IE um, as as their as the way they do worship in their in their churches. And um, one of one of the observations I think I think Richard made was that it's really typically not the people in the pews that are 
going to give you grief over the prayer book. It's 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 the other clergy. And yep. so um, a, a lot of this, you know, seems that now I think there are some exceptions to that. I mean, we have we have a few like like our parish was founded in the midst of the um, 1979 being introduced. And part of the reason why our parish came into being was that the people w- saw the 79 as as um, so bad they needed to start a new church. Uh-huh. Um, so we, we've got some old timey continuum folks who, yeah, they're, they're kind of, even on the lay level, yeah, get the uh, 28 out of my cold dead hands kind of thing. Um, and, and, and I've seen some, some folks who were really gung ho during the revisions of the 79 who, who are, are so against anything old as well. But for the most part, it really is, it's a, it's a clergy thing. Um, what, what, what we want, what, what we're, what we've been formed in and um, yeah, the, the people, the people are going to conform one way or the other. Um, so I, right. I, so that makes me wonder sometimes if, if some of this ends up being a fight, that's not, that's even less necessary. Like, like could a, a, an Anglican body have just said, okay, this is what we're doing without rocking too many things. Or is this kind of all of our clergy are going to rebel one way or the other. And that, yeah. that might be the case. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, that's more or less what I believe. Uh, and among those clergy who are going to disagree, specifically, even with that point, are going to be those who are going to say, well, look, um, and, and I mean, we can, we can maybe start, I think it'd be helpful to list out, sir, what, what are the live issues for people with all this prayer book revision and what, which edition is best? Um, number one, traditional or contemporary language, right? This has been an issue for um, much of Western Christendom since Vatican II, basically. So um, what does that tell us? It tells us that we could say the same thing and mean the same thing and understand those words for, gosh, roughly uh, five centuries. But sometime uh, when, you know, grandpa was in college, maybe, people decided that the language needs to be updated. Um, or, or when uh, the Beatles were writing Yellow Submarine or something along those lines. Um, so so that if you can hear the bias in my voice uh, towards <laughs> uh, the traditional language, then, you know, that's, that's definitely where I'm at on these things. But it is said, and usually this is um, with an aim towards mission, right? People won't understand. They can't get it there, etc., you know, and so I, I've got more to say about that, but I, I think it's best to just sort of list these things off and I'll try to ramble less as I do. Another issue, and here's where the 1662 International Edition uh, actually stands alongside the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, as well as just the good old 1662. Um, one single right to rule them all one common prayer to bind them. I, I, I can't really Tolkien out the rest of it, but uh, so having options, um, and this is actually uh, the sort of thing that, um, you know, those who are interested in the like secularization thesis of like people like uh, the Catholic philosopher, Charles Taylor and um, 
uh, others, you know, there's a sense in which uh, people have been uh ill served by having all these options um and lacking of unity and so providing for people to functionally live in alternate liturgical dimensions alongside one another um from parish to parish uh, or even within the same parish if you've got sort of several services etc does have a disintegrating a secularizing effect it basically um, erodes the authority of any of the options that you have because it's it because sort of uh, begins to place the um, authority on your own preference right and so this is a bigger conversation that uh, you know traditional uh, Anglicans sort of which you know could be quite frankly used to say well let's just modernize all the language and not have a traditional option, right? This could be used as a reason to say the yeah, traditional language edition mm-hmm. actually muddies the water more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's and that that's was another... probably the reason behind the, in the '79 they didn't do what everybody else was doing, where they issued alternative yeah. service books. They just said, "No, this is our new Book of Common Prayer. Take it or leave it." Exactly. Yeah. Right. But but within the book, they had these sort of multiple rights, right? Which had just, let's just be honest, had never existed in Anglicanism. You know, we had, we had people kind of, you know, going off on their own, going into business for themselves, uh, in some cases with missiles and perhaps with or without the authority of their bishops, you know, or frankly on the evangelical side, just sort of, uh, just yeah, yeah, discarding it and doing what they wanted. Um, and I think the, you know, the charismatic movement can be easily implicated in that situation as well. Um, so there's plenty of fault to go around, but that's that lack of unity that, um, you know, mo- this part of modern life where so many find themselves sort of crippled by a plethora of options, you know, paralyzed from being able to really live into a single unified uh, liturgical life. Um, you know, it's that's me with a, a menu that's too long at any restaurant, quite frankly. I mean, I don't know how to spend my $10 or whatever. So, um, <laughs> and, and I think that that's another major point that's sort of made along those lines. Um, there's probably some other, th- I mean, I mean, simply the fact that uh, the 79 prayer book was thought to be theologically liberal in many ways and et cetera. But uh, those are the two major things that I, I kind of can think of um, off the top of my head. Is, am I leaving anything out or, or any comments on uh, sort of to traditional language or not to traditional language and then uh, the issue of multiple rights? Yeah, I, th- I think kind of following up on the issue of multiple rights, um, there is there's a question of kind of philosophy of liturgy in there. Um, you know, the, the, the 1662, for example, w- whether in the international or the original edition, it is so straightforward. You don't have options in there. I mean, even though it's, whereas the 28, you know, as much as I love the 28, we got a lot of options and not all of those options are good. Even though there's only one right, there's one right with a lot of options. Exactly. And um, so, 
now now for some people they're going to say well those options having a lot of options are necessary because of the diversity of our province or our churchmanship or all this other sort of thing um i'm increasingly convinced that's probably not the case i mean you would have talked to me 10 years ago that i, I might have said that's a good thing i don't know that that's a good thing i, I think it's it, even if we can draw different conclusions theological or churchmanship conclusions from the same text I, I i'm increasingly of the opinion that yeah a more common text is better you know less options are better than than more options both missionally and formationally and let me just add a comment to that from our previous episode and then andrew i'd like to hear what you think on this um in our last episode we were talking about uh this issue of religious imagery um icons etc and, you know, part of the reason why I sort of advocate restraint on these things, if you happen to be of the Anglo-Catholic, you know, uh, sort of persuasion or you simply like, you know, that imagery um, has been that we, we need to sort of, you know, I, I think that individual parishes ought or have this responsibility to see themselves as uh, part of the whole, right? This isn't our outpost where we can basically um, go as far in whatever our personal direction preference is as we want, you know, um, with no consideration to the people down the street. And I and I and I don't I don't not just targeting Anglo Catholics. I think evangelicals as well. It's like, hey, guess what? You know what? Uh, I know that. Uh, you know, Willow Creek uses projectors or whatever, you know, or what, whatever it is that you'd re- kind of like to be adopting from the broader Christian experience. Uh, maybe we're all better off if we are attempting to be hospitable to someone who coming from a different stream, if you will, within the Anglican experience has every right to feel comfortable sitting and visiting your parish. And and that to me, I think that's you know that's something that's important to me. I know that a lot of people would really balk at that probably, but I think that if we were to adopt that as a principle for looking at this issue of multiple rights, immediately you have this problem of if you know uh, options would make that pretty hard for a visitor, so to speak. You know, I mean, there's a sense of you know, when in Rome, and, and there's nothing wrong with having uh, the local parish have their own small t traditions, you could say, but the further you take that, I think, you know, the harder the harder it is to call this, quote, common prayer. Andrew? Yeah, you know, I kind of ebb and flow, you know, on a few of y'all's thoughts there, and when it comes to, you know, the book of common prayer, what my hope and my prayer is, is that as, you know, the, the modern language in the ACNA uh, and the traditional language edition that's come out as we move towards the future is to move closer and closer to unity in terms of a common core. And uh, one of my suggestions that I've made um, to both uh, the 2019 and then the TLE version is to include that 1662 right, which I know sounds counterintuitive. Like, oh, you're including like another right? You know, isn't that going backwards? But I mean, frankly, you know, I would love to see it replace the renewed ancient text because that's just it just came in post Vatican II. You know, it's, it's talking about a foreign concept. It came in uh, to Anglicanism uh, in the spirit of Vatican II there. 
But if you're going to have two rights and two options, uh, the REC has done the same thing with their 2003-2005 prayer book of having the 1928 Eucharistic rite and the 1662. And I like that model. If you're going to have two rites, you have the local, you know, North American, and really it's, it's an American, you know, it's not what, what Canada did to, to respect them, but, you know, uh, reception of the Eucharistic rite. And then have the 1662 version of the Eucharistic rite. And in terms of of forming, you know, a united province, a united expression of Anglicanism, it's got to be about having common theology, common doctrine, so that we're actually walking together, not just a, an umbrella of a greater organization, you know, of the greater province, but truly living up to these fundamental declarations that we've professed, you know, going back to the doctrines that, that we espouse, and the easiest way to to teach that into the pews and to live it as a life of faith in which we have common prayer. I'm not as opposed as opposed to options, you know, as long as they're they're optional and you have this like common core. You know, I know that term is, is for education, but have a common core of prayer book theology, of prayer book uh, Anglicanism. I can live with, you know, what um, evangelicals want to do over here, over there, and what Anglo-Catholics want to, you know, do over here and over there. But, uh, but having a common core of the actual um, prayer book theology that we've inherited from, um, you know, the, the Catholic uh, age of Anglicanism throughout the Reformation, the Reformed Catholic age of Anglicanism, I think that's what's important. And so I'm glad to see that when it comes to the 1662 IE, the traditional language edition, that trajectories are heading in such a manner that we can see a little bit more of a, a common prayer that can, you know, come together, that can develop together and, and walk together. Because frankly, you know, when it comes to, you know, my subjective experience at the parish that I'm at, I don't really see people saying like there's so many options, you know, that, that I've, I've not really seen that complaint in 28 parishes I've been a part of, and there's options there, or in 2019 uh, parishes either. Really the complaint I see is, you could go to a parish, you know, within like the same, you know, like 50 mile radius metro area, and they may or may not be using like any form of common prayer, or it may be a cut and paste liturgy of just making it just completely form. Like they're not using a prayer book. That's a bigger problem, you know, that I see is that we need to have some some disciplinary, um, or excuse me, some some discipline to abide by the faith and the tradition that we're claiming to to, to hold on to. And, uh, and that formation has just got to continue. Um, and it, it really needs to, to be picked up more and more so that we're actually making Christian disciples, you know, who are being discipled through the Anglican way. Yeah, um, I, I think my, my opinion on the 2019 Book of Common Prayer sort of is conditioned on whether or not we see it as um, sort of another installment of what I consider sort of the timeless or classical prayer book tradition, or what I think it probably is better understood as, um, and makes more sense as a kind of a stopgap measure between what we have, which is basically a fragmented Christendom with liturgical chaos in our, you know, rather, uh, you know, uh, unique time you know um to just you know maybe the genie's not back in the bottle but 
you know, he's sort of like swirling around, you know, like when Jafar gets trapped at the end of the lat, you know, so he's, he's almost there. And this was sort of like, uh, this was like, a, a one step towards the eventual goal of itty bitty living space. Right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like, if, if we see it that way, I'm actually a lot more, um, sympathetic. That's my, uh, <laughs> those are my two cents at the moment. Yeah, you know, my my own liturgical journey was not unlike that on a very micro micro scale. I mean, I, I was I, I was baptized in the Episcopal Church in '79, and so all I knew was the '79. And when I rediscovered my roots, it was through the '79. And the first time I encountered a non '79 uh, traditional Anglican service, I was like, "Well, why don't you use right to? Well, we don't have a right to. What? How can you not have a right to?" You know, that, that was that was that was the conversation I had with the pastor um, and, and just kind of exploring those classical editions got me to see see the really how how theologically and liturgically wise some of those older versions were. And the only reason why I ended up in my personal life landing on the 28 was because I was an American, not an Englishman. But, you know, had, had that international been around back then, that's what I would have been using. Um, you know, what the parish used would have been, maybe would have been different. But what I what I would have been using in my own personal life, that's what it would have been. Yeah, and that's kind of a similar, you know, story for myself. Like, I came into Anglicanism actually at a, a parish that was using, uh, I think it was a Kenyan uh, liturgy. And it also sounded very 79. Then I quickly, just through my research and reading, bought a copy of the 28, using that as my personal devotions. And it was the same thought, like, I'm an American, so I'm going to use the, the 28. And then when the, the 2019 was adopted, they adopted the 2019. And by that point, I had moved. I was in a different place uh, physically, geographically. And so I was at a 28 parish. And uh, it just made sense that, like, well, this is the, the American prayer book. This is what I'm using. And uh, But like J.I. Packer, you know, Dr. Packer once said, who, who worked on the 2019, you know, Cranmer's vision and the beauty of his liturgy, the timelessness, like you, you mentioned, Jesse, is that he uses this, you know, com- constant repetition of, you know, like of our, you know, grace is, is covering our sin that we're confessing. And it's through our faith that we're realizing uh, the salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. And when I read that essay from his, it's, it's available for free online somewhere. Uh, I, I was like, this is great. You know, like I couldn't put my finger on it. But as soon as he said, it, I was like, that's exactly what Cramner is doing. And that's what I hope to see in, in any further, you know, addition of, of ACNA, you know, doing their prayer books. Uh, if they do that in the future and who knows what the future holds, you know, like will the 2019 last for, for generations or not? I don't know. You know, like I, I suspect it'll be a stopgap. Uh, and then in future decades, there'll be a, a further revision. Uh, that will move even more towards, you know, um, classic, uh, you know, Anglican theology. And prayerfully, I hope that it's, you know, it, it's a question of how do we, you know, have a united, you know, um, closer to common prayer, which I think is going to be a battle throughout the rest of our lives to even get that far. And I hate to say the word battle. I don't want to turn it to, to worship wars, but it's just going to be, it's hard enough trying to make sure that Anglican parishes um, throughout the country are formed properly. We have so many people who are flocking into Anglicanism and sometimes they're running away from something or sometimes they're running towards something that they think 
Anglicanism is, and it turns into a wax nose. And so that's why, like, my encouragement is start with the fundamental declarations. You know, when we talk about, um, you know, what is it that we believe, those fundamental declarations, you know, 767 of the 2019 prayer book, and it's available on the ACNA website, and it's, as I recall, Article 1 of the Constitution of the, of the province, really lay out, you know, what do we believe? What do we at least profess that we believe? And we need to be earnest and be honest about it. It starts with the scriptures, goes to the, the gospel sacraments, goes to the historic episcopate, jumps into the Catholic creeds, the councils of the church, the Book of Common Prayer, you know, 1662, with the ordinal attached to the same, and the 39 articles of religion. If we can't start there at the fundamental you know, declarations for, for ACNA, then we're, we're in a, a wrong place. You know, we, we need to really kind of check yourself and, and kind of ask, like, am I looking or seeking something else in the name of, of Anglicanism? And, and if so, you know, like, I mean, that's okay, you know, like, but let's just be honest with ourselves. And for those of us like, well, no, I'm committed to this path. Let's keep questioning and examining ourselves according to this Reformed Catholic faith that we've received and walk together towards a common path that Lord willing will lead towards common prayer. Yeah. Um, well, I think, uh, We've we've really uh, touched on you know most of the the relevant relevant issues here. Um, I mean I, I do so have sort of have these lingering questions over um, like what sort of authority does the 2019 Book of Common Prayer have as a theological text in the ACNA? Um, you know one thing that came up over COVID tide was that we uh, you know I I discovered that. Um, there was a tradition of uh, spiritual communion that um, some people were appealing to uh, and using specific prayers out of the sort of uh, optional texts section of the uh, 2019. And to be honest, I find that kind of, uh, hmm, it's... It's a uh, it's a strange thing to have thought of the Book of Common Prayer as an authoritative doctrinal text, and then be told, well, this time around, there's sort of uh, this spattering of a broader options, and you can kind of pick and choose among that, you know, like it's all. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I mean, it's just it's it's already sort of inherently um, a far cry from sort of these strong statements about the 1662 in the sort of provincial um, declarations. Uh, so that's that's just something I'm I'm curious. Like, what does it mean when the province you belong to commissions a liturgical text, puts their name on it, um, but have has it canonically been elevated to this other position of the 1662? I mean, that's just a big question mark in my mind. And if there's stuff in there that's meant not meant to apply to everyone, then why is it there? And is the word common well placed on the binding of such a book? Uh, Father Isaac, do you have the the relevant text open there? 
Um, I, I do not, but I have um, a complimentary text from the 1662. Okay, please. Go so, ahead. so yeah, this 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 is one of the fun things we talked about in my diocese at the time, and then, you know, it seems like everybody kind of did whatever they were going to do anyway. Uh, but um, regarding the spiritual communion, there's this rubric in the communion of the sick um, that has been there forever. I mean, so this this is this is as far as we know, it's pretty Cranmerian. Um, that speaks to the issue it says, but if a man either by reason of extremity of sickness or for want of warning in due time to the pastor or for lack of company to receive with him or by any other just impediment does not receive the sacrament of Christ's body and blood, the pastor shall instruct him that if he truly repents him of his sins and steadfastly believes Jesus Christ hath suffered death upon the cross for him and shed his blood for his redemption, earnestly remembering the benefits he hath thereby in giving him hearty thanks for the same, he doth eat and drink the body and blood of our Savior Christ profitably to his soul's health, although he does not receive the sacrament with his mouth. Um, so there, there's the idea was there, but maybe not the specific way it was applied in the, in the, in the 2019, because the, the 2019 um, spiritual communion, I think kind of adopts the kinds of things you'll find in, in Roman Catholic circles, if, if memory serves. Yeah, and so like it's an optional prayer at prayer 106 there. Uh, uh, Isaac, I see that you're turning to it as well. And it's really, I mean, this is a drawing from from the the classic Book of Common Prayer, and in this prayer with uh, the 2019, it's optional. You know that Augustinian uh, notion. Uh, I forget where he writes it, but talks about that if you believe, then you have eaten. And uh, but making that provision both in the 1662, you know, and in the 2019 of like, if you can't, you know, physically receive, you know, then to remember that your faith, you know, um, has made you well, you know, in the words of our Lord, your faith has made you well. So it's interesting, you know, like there's a lot of stuff during COVID, you know, that, that kind of went on, but um, hopefully we're, we're all gathering back together and not relying upon, you know, social media or, or live streams as being a, a substitute uh, for people who are perfectly healthy and who can attend uh, and being together, uh, which is a whole nother issue you know, in and of itself, uh, but certainly not discrediting those who, like in the visitation of the sick, who, who cannot be there uh, and cannot receive when their minister visits them, can be assured that, you know, your faith in Christ, you know, has united you to uh, his body. Yeah, and here's here's the prayer in the in the 2019 traditional language. Dear Jesus, I believe that thou art truly present in the holy sacrament. I love thee above all things and desire to possess thee within my soul. And since I cannot now receive thee sacramentally, I beseech thee to come spiritually into my heart. I unite myself unto thee together with all thy faithful people gathered around every altar of thy church. And I embrace thee with all the affections of my soul. Never permit me to be separated from thee. So I think you end up in the same place. But there is there is a different emphasis, major theological difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and I think um, contextually, I mean, it it really makes a big difference whether uh, an ordained minister is standing in the hospital and pronouncing the assurance of your participation in Christ to you, versus um, well, let's see what the appendix has to say about this, and then sort of declaring it for yourself as a as a prayer, personal prayer, right? I mean, it, it, and I don't want to get into the weeds on this one. I think that, um, you know, that that's like a discussion for another time, but I think it's a good example of something that like 
minimally, people may theologically within orth- Anglican Orthodoxy reasonably have disagreement, and which to me main makes it sort of a you know an odd inclusion. Um, so you know, once again, uh, less is more very often. and you know uh it's there's a reason why there were sort of alternative service books for you know like you know you don't have to have uh the consecration of a preschool or a daycare or every possible need of a pastor you know in in the book of common prayer that's not necessarily it doesn't have to carry that weight um and the more you try to make it do uh the less or the more people you sort of risk excluding um anyhow i i don't want to belabor the point but uh i i think that we maybe have um told or uh sort of told the story i guess of um what's at stake with common prayer and um maybe you know if if you're listening and you don't really have uh all this context of you know what the 2019 prayer book is or what the 1662 international edition is um, at the very least, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of know what, uh, what you're looking at if you go on Amazon and try to buy one or whatever. And so, um, you know, I think that most of the Christian life is really lived at the home and the parish level. And, uh, very often these are, you know, as always take these conversations to your priest or pastor and, uh, you know, don't don't let us tell you what to do. Uh, we don't. We're not meant to be a replacement for that. You know, um, but uh, good talk, guys. Any final uh, thoughts? I, I look forward to the journey towards uh, towards union. I think it's going to be a long time, but I do look forward to the journey. Yeah, I like it. I think it will be a long time. You know, and the one last thing that I'll kind of plug is that the College of Bishops and ACNA had passed the resolution concerning prayer books and uh, historic rights. And um, I forgot when this was passed, but in point three, it stated, quote, the Book of Common Prayer 1662, together with the ordinal attached, remains the authoritative standard for the Anglican tradition of worship within this province. And so uh, we still have a guiding star to go back to. And so I encourage everyone, um, the clergy and lady alike, uh, A, to have a copy of the 1662 and, and B, to dive into it. You know, to learn more about the common heritage we have, so Lord willing, we'll have uh, truly common prayer across the province one day. Amen to that. Awesome. Well, uh, next time we're going to continue this theme of what uh, Anglican Orthodox identity sort of uh, perhaps entails and uh, what kind of uh, the bulwarks of our unity might uh, need to include um, so common prayer, it's a big one. Uh, we look forward to hearing back from you uh, on this episode or other ones from the past. If you dig too back into the back catalog, we might not remember what we were talking about. So be gracious. <laughs> but um, with all that said, until next time, I'm Jesse Nigro. I'm Isaac Reberg. And I'm Andrew Brozier. Thanks, guys. Bye. It was the spirit of our forefathers that built that grand building. I believe that 
That spirit is with us still and will help us to, to rebuild it one day when we've served and suffered a while, a little longer. Build it again to the, to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. Miserable Offenders is a production of the North American Anglican. Learn more at n-o-r-t-h-a-m-anglican.com.